0: sort of eh, foremost areas of eh, controversy, I guess, or disagreement in the church in the United Kingdom, it kind of centers around the work of the Holy Spirit of God. There seems to be, I guess, about as many ideas about the Holy Spirit in this country as there are Christians, okay? And, and we in this church, we in, I suppose you would say, are sort of this... Eh, the strand of theology or our sort of theological tradition, we are at the forefront, if you like, we're at the kind of sharp end of that disagreement. Um, I remember a few years ago a woman spoke to me and she said, she asked me, Andy, uh, what church is it that you attend? And when I told her that I went to the Free Church of Scotland, she said, oh, I've heard of the Free Church of Scotland. Yeah, that's the church that does not believe that there is a Holy Spirit of God. uh, Yeah, I corrected her, you know. But you see the the, the point from that, don't you? You see that there is a sort of caricature, isn't there? A caricature in this country that reformed churches or sort of conservative evangelical churches like ours that we do not have a sufficient or grand enough appreciation of the power, you know, the majesty of the Holy Spirit of God. That's the caricature. Well this morning, um, as we continue our studies in the book of Acts, where we come to. We come to Acts chapter 19. That's where we've, we've got to. And as we do that, as we get into Acts 19, what we see is the Apostle Paul once again come into the city of Ephesus. So if you were here the last couple of weeks, you see what's going on, do you? You've been able to follow it. Last week he was in Ephesus. But then we saw him end, he carries on and he ends the second missionary journey. And he gets to sort of city in Antioch and he has a pause and he catches his breath after it. Then he, Paul goes out again. He strength churches and now look at it. We, we've, he's made his way all the way right back and today we find him come back to where he was last week and he comes back into the city of Ephesus again. And really what we see this time around is the Holy Spirit, in some ways you could say, almost transform that whole city. The Holy Spirit has a huge impact this time around on the city of Ephesus. So, get this. Hear this. This morning in this church, not only are we believing in the Holy Spirit, This morning, not only are we relying upon and rejoicing in the Holy Spirit, but see, this morning, just now, what we're going to do together is we are going to study the Holy Spirit of God. So if you haven't done so already, please turn with me in your Bibles to, to Acts 19. Have that in front of you. Let's think firstly about the necessity of the Holy Spirit. So we're looking at a few points about the Holy Spirit of God. Let's think firstly about the necessity of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're looking at this, Acts 19, what you see in the first scene here is the Apostle Paul confronted by, do you see who it is? He's confronted by 12 men, a dozen men. These sort of, 12 guys, 12 men of Ephesus. Now, you, you see, what the, see what we're told about them? They are called disciples. That's important. What else? We're told that they are rebaptized. That's important. They are baptized, these guys, for a second time. Now, here's the deal. Um, many of our Pentecostal and charismatic brothers in Christ they would use what we've got there as evidence that, that, that a Christian person, long after conversion, can have a secondary experience of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, are you following me there? So many other, like Pentecostal churches, charismatic churches, they, they would say that, 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 that this is evidence here, that, that after a person has been saved and being baptized, and a person's had the work of the Holy Spirit in their heart, that what we're seeing here is evidence that later in life, that person can have another really kind of sort of separate, secondary, special, empowering, you know? A second sort of filling of the Holy Spirit, equipping of the Holy Spirit. Now, wait a minute. Like, we have to be sure about this. We've got to ask, well, wait a minute. Is that, is that accurate? Can that happen? Is that justified by the text we have got in front of us here? Well, consider this with me. Consider that when Paul meets these 12 men of Ephesus, wait a minute, consider that they are not Christians. That, okay, wait a minute, they're, they're called disciples. Okay, Paul assumes that they are disciples, Okay, they themselves assume that they are disciples. That okay, we see that 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 like Apollos, that they knew something of the baptism of John. But think about it. Unlike Apollos, who we were told could teach accurately about the Lord Jesus Christ, these guys don't have a Scooby about the gospel, do they? I mean, they don't. They don't have a clue. We are told that they have never even heard of the Holy Spirit of God. We are told that Paul has to tell them and explain to them that the Messiah has come, that the Lord Jesus Christ has come. Do you see it? These people were not Christians, and do you see what that means then? Do you? Do you see the implication of that? It means that the second baptism that we've got here is not some sort of secondary additional equipping of existing believers. No! That second baptism is much, much bigger. It's much more significant than that because it is about these guys' salvation. I mean, do you see what's happening? Paul's coming into Ephesus. He meets these men and he tells them about Christ. He tells them the Messiah has come and they know about repentance. So here and now, bowing before the Lord Jesus Christ, they are experiencing what? They are experiencing from the, for the first time the converting, regenerating work of the Holy Spirit of God. These guys are saved here. But rather than this being some sort of, you know, theological point scoring exercise with people who are our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, friends, I want to encourage you to see the tragedy in the face of those 12 men as Paul sees them. They understood themselves to be disciples. Do you see it? Like they thought themselves Christians and they knew not the Holy Spirit of God. Do you see the tragedy in that? Do you see that that is the the, the circumstance of countless numbers of people in london right now as i speak i mean think about the time you know like 45 minutes ago the door of so many hundreds of churches in london you know some church officer some steward opens the door and people come in to the churches in london all these people, thousands of people and families come in as they do every Sunday is the routine and the elderly folks, they come in and they take their place on the pew. Do you see the tragedy though? So many of those people, convinced that they are Christians, convinced that they are disciples, they don't have a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. They don't have the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And do you see from these verses do you see that without that they are lost that those people are dead in their trespasses and sins do you see that friends will you as Christians let Acts chapter 19 infiltrate into your prayer life this week will you I mean pray not as we pray sort of really generally for people to change let's not pray that let's pray something different let's pray that the Holy Spirit works will we And let's pray that he, the the third person of the Trinity, the power of Jesus Christ, the presence of God, he transforms church-going unbelievers. And that they, like these 12 men of Ephesus, hear the gospel. And they spot, and they repent. Let's pray that they do that, repent and believe, and they believe for the salvation of their souls. We see here the necessity of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, let's consider the accommodation of the Holy Spirit. The accommodation of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so if you're following me, we've seen who it is that Paul meets as he comes in Ephesus. He's got these dudes that he meets as he comes in. <clears throat> now let's consider his activity. Like, what does he do? He's come back to Ephesus, been there before. What is he doing? Like, there's kind of two sides to it, if you like. Like part of it, the first part of it, it's kind of predictable, isn't it? What does Paul do when he goes to Ephesus? He teaches. Now, what what we see is that he's preaching in the synagogue. There's a bit of opposition towards that. Quite interesting what he does. He sort of comes out of the synagogue and he bases himself in a lecture hall. And that's where he's got his ministry, and it's a very, very effective ministry. We're told that, that you know, the province of Asia hear the gospel. So he's teaching. Really, though, it's the second area of activity that I want to focus on. Not his teaching. I want to focus on the miracles that the Holy Spirit works through Paul. Now, my kids at home are going through a bit of a drawing phase. Okay, and it's driving us insane. <laughs> because you know what kids are like, you know, they're drawing, but they don't just draw little bits of paper. Uh, they have to show their parents absolutely everything that they draw. You know, no matter how small, or even if it's two lines on a page, they have to show their parents. So we're just getting brought a picture of ice cream, man, after a picture of a monster, and so forth. Uh, this week, though, my son brought me through a picture of a fish that he drawn. Dad, I look at the picture of this fish. It's amazing, Dad. look at the picture of my fish. Look at it, though, Dad. It's one of those fish that live in water. And I'm sort of looking at my son's, you know, that's a reasonable picture. Uh, But, you know, what other sort of fish do you get than fish that live in water, you know? And wait. Are we kind of left asking the same thing of Luke? In verse 11. In, in all seriousness, look what he says in verse 11. He is saying that the Holy Spirit was doing extraordinary miracles uh, through the Apostle Paul. And surely we're kind of scratching our heads thinking, Okay, Luke, but what other sort of miracles do you get than extraordinary miracles? You know, surely... And we're left asking that until we see exactly what it is that the Holy Spirit was doing here. So I ask you just to look at verse 12, see what happens. And in some ways you can almost say that the Holy Spirit of God here is using props. Because look at it, we are told that Paul's hankies, I mean it's not even the most sort of pleasant a thought in some ways, Paul's hankies and his aprons are sort of used by the Holy Spirit. These things are sort of taken away and used. They're, they're, they're curing people of illness. His hankies, his aprons, they're used to, to free the demon-possessed. That's an extraordinary miracle. But wait a minute. Do you see what is going on here? Do you see what the Holy Spirit of God is doing? You see, what we have to realize is that this city that we're dealing with, Ephesus, it was a city that was immersed in the occult. Like Ephesus, if you understand about Ephesus, we're going to see this more next week, but just now we need to notice this. Ephesus was, you know, a, a place that really was just attracted by magic, attracted by sort of sorcery, attracted by by the dark arts, attracted and immersed in the occult. Wait! Do you see what God is doing? Do you see what the Holy Spirit is doing? In order to push people towards the gospel, towards salvation, he is working. Think about the hankies. Think about the aprons. The Holy Spirit is working in ways that people would understand. He didn't need to use hankies. Holy Spirit didn't need to use these aprons but he is willing to push people towards the gospel he is willing to accommodate himself you could almost say that God here was willing to limit himself to work in ways that people could relate to so that he could push them towards the gospel and I tell you this I think that's beautiful isn't it almighty God would condescend to use hankies and aprons to lure himself like that in order to push people towards Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Here's the thing. What we have to understand is that that is how God has always worked. That such is his love for you. That such is his love for humanity that he has always been willing to accommodate himself and condescend to relate to us and speak to us in ways that we very, very limited beings and with very limited minds can, can understand. Just think of Jesus' earthly ministry. I mean, come on. Think of his sermons using parables and all these simple images. Why does he use them? He uses them so that we might understand just something of the, the immensity and the grandeur of God. I mean, think about what it is you've got in your hands just now. Think about the Bible. Think about what that is. We have God condescending to speak about his infinity and his, his immensity. And he's just speaking to us there in baby talk, in simple language. So again, I say to you, friends, as Christians, let Acts 19 filter into your prayer life. Pray this week, not just that God would work. You pray this week that the Holy Spirit of God would accommodate himself to people in your life. Pray that the Holy Spirit would work in people's lives in ways that they would relate to, that they might be brought here. That they might be brought to the Word, that they might be brought to the cross, that they might be brought to salvation. Think about that aprons? Think about the hankies. When we think about the accommodation of God to show us grace, to to push us to grace, I tell you this, is it not? Is it not the most beautiful, the most glorious thing? So we see the necessity of the Holy Spirit. We see the accommodation of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, we see the purification of the Holy Spirit. The purification of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Okay, for a couple of years there, uh, I began to sleepwalk. (laughs) For no understandable reason whatsoever, I began to sleepwalk. Like, I hadn't done it as a kid. It was round about the time of my marriage, maybe that had something to do with it. But uh, as a kid, I hadn't sleptwalked. And uh, I don't do it now, but for a, there was a couple of years there. For no, there was something weird going on in my head there. But I, I started to to sleepwalk, and on one occasion, <laughs> I woke up. I sleepwalk, and I woke up to the noise of the front door, the exterior door of my flat, closing behind me. Okay, see what that means. I sleptwalked, and I found myself, I woke up in the middle of the night, in the middle of a dodgy part of Edinburgh, and I woke up, wait for it, I woke up in my pants, you know And I do not mean American pants, okay? I mean British pants, you know, and uh, you know, a ludicrous, ridiculous uh, scenario and scene well. You know, in Acts chapter 19, we do have another here almost kind of comedic scene going on, don't we? Because you've got, we're told about Jewish exorcists here. Now, they, they're seeing the power of the Holy Spirit in action, in the, the the aprons. And they're thinking, right, I want a slice of that pie. So they try to extract a demon in the name of Jesus using the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you see what happens? Brilliant. Verse 16 we're told that this demon-possessed man, he calls their bluff. You know, he said, wait a minute. You are not using the power of the Holy Spirit here at all. And so do you see what he does? He gives them a beating, is what he does. And then you've got that picture of these Jewish exorcists running naked down the road in Ephesus. Now, what a picture that is. Friends, So it is the response the response to that that I want you to see. Because what we find in Ephesus then is a city that is full of fear and a city full of reverence. I mean, that population of that city, there and then, they have seen the power of the Holy Spirit with these aprons and the hankies and curing illnesses. Now, though, do you see what they see? They, They see that even the demons... The demons, they they fear no one and they fear nothing except the Holy Spirit of God. And that city is full of fear. It is fearing and we are told it is extolling the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that we have got an important lesson for ourselves as a congregation. That the divine and that the powerful third person of the Trinity... That the Holy Spirit should not be treated lightly. That we should not be treating the Holy Spirit of God with any sort of flippancy. That we should be focused this morning on the incredible power of the Holy Spirit. And I ask you to think about power just now. Consider that the one who is in use now as a believer, the one who is in your heart is the same one who hovered over the waters in the very creation of the world. That power in you. You consider that the one who is in you and in your heart just now, that he is the one who, the same one, Who breathed life into Ezekiel's Valley of Dry Bones. You know that story. You know this army coming together with all his ligaments and sinews to rise up. That same power. And you... That the one who is in you, within you, right now as a believer is the same one who appeared in the tongues of fire at Pentecost, the one who is able to equip and furnish the the whole of the church of Jesus Christ, the same one who is able to right now apply, and forevermore salvation to your soul, he is within you as a Christian just now. But I think more than fear, more than reverence, our response, your response to the might and the power of the Holy Spirit of God shouldn't just be the same response as the city of Ephesus. Wait for this. Our response should be the same response as the Christians of Ephesus. Do you see what it is? Look at verses 18 and 19. We read that in the power, faced with the might of God, faced with the power of the Holy Spirit, what did he do? They burn the attachments and scrolls of the occult. Do you see what that is? Faced with the might and the power of God, the Christians repent of their wickedness. And they confess their sin. And I think that there, friends, is where you should be at this morning and where I should be at this morning as we consider the Holy Spirit. As we consider what He's done for you, how He's matured you, how he's grown us as believers, how he's grown the church, how he's answered prayer. Do you see our reaction? We should be bowing before God this morning. What a God, what a what a Holy Spirit. We should be confessing our sin. We should be turning from our wickedness. Do you see it? Friends, what we see in Ephesus and what you and I must pray for is that the power of the Holy Spirit leads to the Purification of the people of God. And then lastly, in a word, I just want to consider the burdening of the Holy Spirit. So the city, the accommodation, the purification. Lastly, the burdening of the Holy Spirit. In some ways I've, I've been surprised since I've come to London how many conversations I have had with young guys about the ministry. Quite a number of times, uh, young blokes have come to me and sort of said, "You know, how do we know? (laughs) How do we know if God is calling us to the ministry? You know, like how do we know for sure that we are being called to preach?" Quite a few times, been asked that. Now, you can answer that in a whole variety of ways. I have just tended to repeat what an older minister once said to me, and he said. You know that you've been called to preach if you can't not preach. And I know that there are grammatical problems with that statement, but you see what the older minister was saying. You know that you've been called to preach if God has so firmly laid it upon your heart that you have to preach that it is something you must do. Now I think there is something akin to that going on with the Apostle Paul in these verses, but you know what? You wouldn't know it if you're using your church Bible. So if everyone would do this, if your Bibles are open, just look at verse 21, regardless of of uh, your translation of the Bible. Look at verse 21. Now it says, I think I think I've got this right. If you in the church Bibles, it says uh, after all this has happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem. Okay, so after all this power and and all the incredible work in the Holy Spirit, Paul decides to go to Jerusalem. Now, that sounds okay. Now, that sounds fine. But do you know what? There is, there is a word that's missing there. And it is a word that is really crucial to the theme of this chapter. Certainly the theme that we're looking at today. So I'll read what it says, really, in the original. You know, You listen to this. I think the ESV's got it right as well. It really says, after all of this, not that Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, Guess what the missing word is? After all of this, Paul decided in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. Do you see the difference between those two things? This wasn't a spur-of-the-moment decision by the apostle. This wasn't a decision of man. This decision to go to Jerusalem and then on to Rome, this was something that was laid on his heart by the Lord God. Do you see what we've got here? That part of the work of the Holy Spirit of God is not just to convert me, regenerate, or or sanctify, but the part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to burden us. It is the Holy Spirit leads us, and He leads us into the will and the purposes of of, of God. And if you have been paying close attention in this sermon, I hope you've seen that at each point of the sermon, the application has been about prayer. So again, I say to you, let Acts 19 filter into, permeate your devotional life this week. Friend, pray that God, ask God to burden you. Then, like Paul, that you will be burdened with places by the Holy Spirit. Places to pray about. Places that the Lord wants you to go to. Pray for a burden for people. People that need Christ. That need to hear the gospel. Pray about areas of service. Areas of the service in the church. Here and elsewhere. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would so. Attach those things to your heart that, like that old minister said, that we can't not do it, that we would have to obey. Friends, I want to close with a question. One question for you. You see, those 12 men of Ephesus, is it possible that you are where they were when Paul first met? Do you see what I mean by that? Is it possible that, that you have been thinking yourself a Christian all these years? Is it possible that you have been professing faith in, in, in Jesus? But is it possible? Are you maybe seeing today that, no, that a personal relationship with Christ? I do not have that. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit, I do not have that. Is that... Possibly true of you. If it is, consider this. Consider whether the Holy Spirit of God is working in your heart as I speak just now. Is he, and has he been accommodating himself to you in your life? Has he? I mean, has he been, are you seeing that now? That you have been, you've been drawn here. That God has been working in your life. Is that true of you? Is it possibly true? Consider that maybe there is a a new fear in your life. Is that the case? That the Holy Spirit has provided you with a a previously unknown reverence towards God. Is that true? Is there maybe, because of the Holy Spirit, a, a contrition that you've never had? That even now, as you sit here, You're thinking, I am unworthy of this holy God. If that is true, then maybe it is also true that the Holy Spirit is burdening you and that just now he is leading you and leading you into salvation. Friends, when we see Acts 19, I don't know about you, but I think in general all of us should be left rejoicing that our God is a triune God is Father, and is Son, and is Holy Spirit. And I hope that when we leave the church later on, that all of us can go out of those doors, and we can see the words that Spurgeon used to say every Sunday as he would walk up the steps of this pulpit. I hope we can all go out here today and say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit of God. Let's pray.